Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher, Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank. When we were growing up, we all made mistakes. One such mistake of mine was in the ninth grade because I didn't want to do a report. What's interesting is the report was on ancient civilizations like Babylon and Assyria, countries now that I want to know about this information because it's biblically based. But back then, it didn't interest me, so I just thought, I'm not going to do this report. Of course, the grades come out, and I get an incomplete. So I went to the teacher, and she said, well, you didn't turn in your report. If you turn it in, I'll give you your grade. So I turned it in, a decent report, and I got an F. Of course, I was mad at the teacher because she said she'd give me my passing grade, and she didn't. But it was my fault. The consequence was I had to go to summer school, take a bus every day to a different school, ruin my morning for six weeks. Terrible. It was a consequence, though, of my disobedience. So I learned a valuable lesson. When I don't follow the rules, there's going to be consequences. Well, the same thing holds with our spiritual walk. God gives us directions that he expects us to follow. Sometimes very specific instructions, sometimes more general ones. So what happens when we don't? I'm Jerry Blank. Today we're going to walk through a very familiar story to consider if we're living a life of obedience to God or if we're just simply going in our own direction. And I'm co-host Jackie Saylors. Do you remember a series of young people's books called Choose Your Own Adventure? I remember how popular they were with kids in the 80s and 90s when my kids were growing up. They loved them because instead of being led along a predetermined storyline, at different points they could choose what they wanted to have happen next. Whatever they chose would then lead to a different section of the book, more choices, and ultimately one of a set of different possible outcomes. You could say Jonah decided to choose his own adventure. Instead of obeying the Lord's clear instructions, he disagreed with God and decided to go in the opposite direction instead, and his disobedience took him on quite an adventure. Jonah ended up suffering the consequences of his sin, and God's sovereign purpose and his storyline prevailed in the end. Do we think that when we disobey God, we are simply exercising our right to choose our own adventure, or do we first give serious thought to the consequences of disobeying God? No, we don't. We think we won't get caught or there won't be any consequences to what we do. Sometimes I wonder why are we so ignorant about things like that, and myself included, thinking that God's not going to know or God's not going to bring about some kind of consequences. Well, some people say that the story of Jonah, which you've already said is going to be our topic today, is an allegory. That means simply it's a story with a hidden meaning. But the fact is that Jonah was an actual prophet. According to 2 Kings 14.25, it says that he was a prophet living at the time of King Jeroboam. It mentions him by name, saying that God spoke through his prophet Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath Hefer. So we know that's the Jonah of the Jonah story in the Bible. Well, we can date his timing to that of King Jeroboam II, because his name is used in that passage, somewhere between 794 and 753 B.C. And people might say, well, yeah, you may have been a prophet, but that doesn't mean that this story is true, except that Jesus validates the story. 
In Matthew twelve forty, Jesus says, For just as Jonah was in the stomach of the sea monster for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Jesus wouldn't use him as an example if it wasn't a real story. We also know that the historian Josephus validated this story as historical. He lived 700 years later, but he validated it through documents that he read and was familiar with. So this is a real story that we're going to be reading today, and we have a lot to learn from it. It's important to learn about how God calls each one of us, as he called Jonah, and that we have choices to make when he calls us. He does. So let's start with Jonah chapter 1. It reads in verse 1, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Nineveh was a horrible city. It was controlled by the Assyrians at that time. They were ruthless people, and they had destroyed many other nations and were threatening Israel in many ways and would continue to do so. So in this passage, God gave Jonah a very clear directive. He is to go to Nineveh and cry against it. His mortal enemy, but that's what he's supposed to do. Well, when you have a direct message from God, First of all, do we hear it? And then when we hear it, do we respond? Uh, Respond in a positive way to obey God. Let's see what Jonah did in Jonah 1.3. First word is but. That means a contrast. It means Jonah's going to go his own direction. It says, Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish, which, by the way, is like over in Spain. So it's about as far away, at least on the water, as he can get. He wanted to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he thinks that by getting on a ship and going to the other part of the world, he can hide from God. No, that just doesn't happen. In Psalm 139, we're told that we can't hide from God. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went into it to go within Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He made a really poor decision. What does that tell me? He's disobeying God. He wants to go in his own direction, and he's going to do whatever he wants to try and hide from God, which means he's out of fellowship with God because he's certainly not doing what God wants him to do. But that's his decision because God gives each one of us our own free will to do what we want to do. The problem is that when we are called to be God's people and we have made him Lord of our lives, we're also called to obey him. And Jonah was not doing that. When we think about Jonah in the human sense, though, and how oftentimes we are like him, it's important to look at who these people were. As you said, these were the enemies of Israel. They were the enemies of a lot of people. They were terrorists. They didn't just kill people. They dismembered people. They killed them in horrific ways. Perhaps Jonah had even been a witness to some of this or the aftermath of it. And so these are people that could come back against Israel They were horrible people. He didn't want to give them any kind of a chance. Now, he went to warn the people, but when God offers a warning to people, there's always that opportunity for them to repent. They didn't deserve that, and he didn't want to see them have that. How often do we think that our ways are better than God's ways, that we know better than he does? God, you just don't understand the situation. They're not going to listen to you anyway, so why go? That sounds like something Jonah might have been thinking. At least that's how we tend to think. So what happened? 
It tells us in Jonah 1 verse 4, The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Now, did you catch that? Two greats in there, <laughs> because God wanted to get Jonah's attention. The storm was so bad that the ship was going to break up. Verse 5, Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God, and they threw the cargo, which was in the ship, into the sea to lighten it for them. If you throw the cargo into the ship, you're losing every bit of profit that you could get, as well as the sustenance that you need to make it across the sea. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, laying down and fallen sound asleep. He was so unconcerned about what was happening. He didn't care because he was running away from God. The ship, there's a storm, the ship's getting ready to sink, and he is sound asleep. Even the pagans are crying out to their own gods, and now they're going to tell Jonah to cry out to his God. It tells us in Jonah 1.6, the captain approached Jonah and said, How is it that you are sleeping? Get up and call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. Then it tells us that each man said to his mate, Come, let us cast lots so we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to Jonah in verse 8, Tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Now, let's stop there for a minute, because these people know that Jonah is the cause of the problem. So they want to know who he is. He admits to knowing God. He admits to fearing God. And yet he's not, because he's leaving God and going in the opposite direction. How often do we say, oh, I'm a Christian. Oh, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And then we live like the world. That's exactly what Jonah was doing, and that's what we tend to do, too, thinking that nobody's going to notice, or it's not going to come back to haunt us, because, after all, I've got my own personal opinion, and I can do what I want to do and think what I want to think. No, we can't, but that is our attitude. It's pretty impressive how then the pagan sailors became extremely frightened, so they had a fear of the Lord. They knew that because Jonah was doing this, he was fleeing away from the presence of the Lord, that made them even more frightened. And they says that in Jonah 1.10, then the men became exceedingly frightened. And they said to him, how could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them that. And these people must have known about the God of Israel because when Jonah says he is fearing the God of Israel, they became extremely frightened. What kind of an influence is Jonah having on pagans? Not a very good one, because he's fleeing the presence of God, he's not obeying God, and he's allowing them to be in a precarious situation because of his sins. They were suffering because of his disobedience. And so it says in verse 11, So they said to him, What should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. So they knew that Jonah was the cause of the problem, and they needed to do something to him. But they didn't want to. They didn't want to be guilty. As they're told later in verse 12, 
He said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. And I know on account of me this great storm has come upon you. He knows he's the problem, but he doesn't seem to care. He says, Throw me into the sea. If the ship's being tossed and turned and broken up, what do you think is going to happen to Jonah when he gets thrown into the sea? He's going to die. And yet he's willing to die rather than to do what God told him to do. So now let's go on to verse 13. It says, However, the men rode desperately to return to land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. Then they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O God, do not let us perish on account of this man's life, or you might say this man's sin, and do not put innocent blood on us, for you, O God, have done as you have pleased. Even though Jonah is not walking with God and he's a really poor witness, this whole experience has turned the men towards God. And they don't want to be in a situation where they're going to make a bad decision against the God that they're now turning to. But Jonah has put them in that position. So we learn in verse 15. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they ordered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And one thing I love is that even in our disobedience, God can use our mistakes to bring others to himself. That's not the way he wants it to happen. He wants us to be obedient, but here he used one person's disobedience to draw them to Jesus. But in the process, they had to throw Jonah into the water. How devastating is that for Jonah? So they really did witness the power of God and became converted. When they say they feared the Lord greatly and offered sacrifices to the Lord, it does sound like a conversion experience. And so they go ahead and do what needs to be done here. Jonah gets thrown into the sea. And as you said, there's really no way for him to survive. And yet God provides a way, doesn't he? He does, but not right away. It tells us in verse 17 of chapter 1, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. But chapter 2 gives us a little more detail. And what it tells me is that Jonah was first drowning before the fish came and ate him. It tells us in chapter 2, verse 3, For you, O God, cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me, and all the breakers and billows pass over me. So he's drowning. He's, the water is going all around him. It says in verse 5, Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. Here he's being swallowed up by the waves, and the seaweed was wrapped around him, which is even worse because he's getting heavier, he's getting dragged down, and maybe he can't even breathe. And then again in chapter 2, verse 6, it says, And I descended to the roots of the mountains. Well, we know that the bottom of the ocean is full of mountains. So he descended to the bottom of the water. The earth with its bars was around me forever. But you have brought me up, my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Sounds to me like he was drowning. Mm -hmm. And when he was in the worst of the condition, that's when God sent the fish to save him, 
not to swallow him and eat him, but to save him from drowning in those terrible situations. God will do whatever it takes to get our attention. Mm -hmm. He allowed Jonah to get on that ship because Jonah has free will. But then Jonah was going to suffer the consequences, and that meant death. But when Jonah got to the point of death that he seemed to be longing for rather than obeying God, he had a different point of view, and God knew that. So he allowed the fish to swallow him. We know that according to Jonah chapter 2, verse 2, that he's going to call out to God when he's drowning. He says, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help from the death of Sheol, that's death, that you would hear me. Again in verse 4, so I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again towards your holy temple. And then in verses 7 and 8 of chapter 2, while I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to him, into his holy temple. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. When we go through trials, sometimes we have to get to the very depths of despair. We have to get as low as we can possibly go before we're willing to repent, before we're willing to turn to God and ask his forgiveness and seek his direction and honor him. That's exactly what Jonah did, but he had to get to the depths of being willing to die and even wanting to die and then being close to death before he would turn his attention to God. Now, I want you to think about it for a minute. What do you think it was like in the belly of the whale? Oh, dark, smelly, slimy, hard to breathe, I would think. No oxygen in there. Uncertainty as to what was going to happen, if he was going to be eaten, and certainly fear going along with that. What a horrible situation that would be. But it took all of that for Jonah to repent. You know, it takes an awful lot for us to repent, too, sometimes, because we want to do things our own way. We want to go in our own directions. We think what we want to do is better than what God's plans are. Or maybe we just don't even want to follow God or listen to him. God wants our attention. He wants us to follow him. He wants us to rest for us. He called Jonah to a particular calling. He knew Jonah was fearing God, even though he was disobeying him. And he wanted to bring Jonah to repentance. So Jonah would do what God had called him to do for Jonah's sake, as well as for the kingdom of God. So he comes up onto the land after being vomited out of the fish. I read a story one time. Actually, they did find somebody who came out of a fish and he was bleached white from digestive juices. So Jonah comes out with a a changed appearance. It's kind of an interesting historical fact about the god Dagon, who was god that the Ninevites worshipped. He was a fish god. He was often depicted as a man wearing a fish or as half man, half fish. And so if the Ninevites saw a man being spewed out of the mouth of a great fish, it's plausible they would have believed him to have had a divine origin and would have been persuaded to listen to anything he had to say. Isn't that interesting that that might have been the case, that God provided something like that for Jonah as he walked into that city, because it had to be intimidating to walk into that city 
that was in enemy city and proclaim what he was about to proclaim. Oh, that's for sure. We're told in Jonah 2, 10, that the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah upon dry land. So then God says to him in chapter 3, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I'm going to tell you. This time, Jonah obeyed. It said he arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. So chapter three is all about Jonah going into that city, proclaiming the word of God. But all he said is in verse four, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's all he had to say. And God worked in the hearts of the Ninevites, even the king. They all came to know him. Now, think of the timing of this. We know that historically, the Ninevites, the Assyrians, will destroy the northern kingdom of Israel in 722 B.C. Based on what we talked about earlier, Jonah was a prophet under King Rehoboam II, which was between 794 and 753 B.C. So there's somewhere between 30 and 70 years that Jonah preached Ninevites were saved before they came and conquered Israel. One can only wonder how many years earlier they would have conquered Israel if Jonah had not been obedient, if God had not touched the hearts of the Ninevites to save them. We're coming to the end, so you can read chapter 4 on your own, but what you're going to see in verse 1 is that it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry at God because the Ninevites were saved. What a bad attitude he had. He still obeyed God, but he had a wrong heart in doing it. It's God who saves people, clearly not Jonah here. But what does that say about us? If we obey God with a bad heart, will he honor that? He did with Jonah. But because Jonah had a bad heart, God gave him two object lessons to show him basically that he had concern over a shade plant that he had nothing to do with growing, but he had no concern over the hearts of those hundreds of thousands of people that lived in Nineveh. God painted him an object lesson, teaching him compassion, but Jonah didn't get it. So he obeyed but he still had a bad attitude. That is not what God wants us to do. He wants us to obey and trust in him for the right outcome, not our own ways. So what can we learn from this? First of all, God calls us to obedience. If Jesus is our Lord and our master, as we say he is as followers of Christ, then he's the one who leads us. He's the one we are to follow. And then secondly, if we don't obey him, we're going to suffer consequences. You know, God could have used any of a number of other prophets to go preach to Nineveh, but it was Jonah that he had called. It was Jonah he wanted to do that. How, why, we don't know. But Jonah had a calling and God wanted him to fulfill it. When we're talking about God calling us to obedience, Abraham is such a good example of that. Hebrews eleven eight talks about Abraham. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place he was to receive for an inheritance, and he left not knowing where he was going. But what a great example of faith that he went out anyway, just trusting God. Yeah, and this was the beginning of his walk with God. And we see in Acts five twenty nine that Peter, when he was arrested by the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, he said to them, we must obey God rather than men. He realized that even though they didn't want him to talk about Jesus, 
he had to obey God and not worry about consequences of men. Unfortunately, we worry about what people think of us more than we are concerned about what God thinks of us. And we know in those famous passages we use a lot, Deuteronomy 28 and 29, that God will bless us when we're obedient. He says in Deuteronomy 28, 1 and 2, Now it shall be if you diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments, which I'm commanding you today. Then the Lord your God will put you high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings will come upon you and reach you if you obey your God. But we also learn that if we don't obey God, there's going to be consequences. We can look at Deuteronomy 28.15 with that, where it says, But it shall come about if you do not obey the Lord your God, to be careful to follow his commandments and his statutes, which I'm commanding you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Now, the context here is to the nation of Israel, being obedient to God or choosing to be disobedient. But it still goes along with us. We see the same thing in the New Testament. In Romans 2, 8, we're told that to those who are self-serving and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, God will give wrath and indignation. So we have consequences when we choose to disobey God. In 2 Kings 18, 11, and 12, we're told the king of Assyria led Israel into exile in Assyria. And this is exactly what happened in 722 B.C., and probably would have happened many decades earlier if Jonah hadn't obeyed God. But anyway, they led them into exile in Assyria. This happened because they did not obey the voice of the Lord their God, but violated his covenant. Those are serious consequences when we choose to walk away from God and not obey him. And sometimes we say in our own lives, well, why is God allowing all this disaster to come upon me? Maybe we need to stop and ask ourselves, Am I walking away from God like Jonah did? Am I disobeying him? So on the converse of that, what was the last thing God told you to do? And did you obey him? And if you're not sure, ask him, because he'd be happy to show you. We also know that our obedience to God is a choice. It's a decision that we have to make. And I hope that we will listen to it, because if we don't, as I said, there will be consequences. I flunked that class in high school because I didn't want to obey the teacher and I didn't want to hand in the report. I was doing what I wanted to do. And I suffered. I learned early on. So when I became a believer in Jesus Christ, I knew then I didn't want to disobey him because I don't want to suffer God's consequences. I hope that you have learned from your mistakes so that when you've done something wrong and you've seen the consequences, you learn that it's not worth it. If God has a calling for us, he'll do whatever it takes to get us back. And that can mean, as it did for Jonah, being in the belly of a fish, almost dying. So God will do whatever it takes for us to get our eyes back on Jesus, to follow him, and to walk with him. How much more severe are the consequences when you choose to walk away from God, take matters into our own hands? If we think of those, we'll want to obey God. Remember what Joshua said in Joshua 24, 15. But if it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourself today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served, which were beyond the Euphrates River, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. 
But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Is that your heart? Do you know what he's called you to do? Are you being obedient to him? And if you don't know his calling on your life, ask him. He'll show you. And he wants you to be his servant, sharing his truth here on the earth so you can find the joy and the blessings of being obedient to God. Thank you for joining us today on Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank. This is a listener-supported show. If you'd like to support this program or contact Debbie Blank, you may do so at P.O. Box 540-003, Omaha, Nebraska, 68154, or visit our website at livingwordministry.org. Please tune in each week at this same time for Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank.